Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray and let's go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. Jonathan Mueller's birthday, we should sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jonathan. Happy birthday to you. Well done. He's a great... He's a, That's right. Yeah, that, that was a choir audition. Well done. Um, uh, it is actually, I mean, it's great. I, I just was saying to the guys as we were dressing uh, this morning, it's just, the music is flawless. You know, you come in, this is, I asked Jonathan how it was going to be today, and he said, oh, you know, kind of a down week, and then you come in and it's gorgeous, and well, it couldn't have been a down week at all, so that was very, very nice. Uh, let's see, a couple of things. Did somebody start the attendance back there? There's a clipboard back there. Michael, can you send that thing around? Are there baskets today? Maybe there's not. Hmm. I think Carol's probably gone, so, all right. Well, you can put in double next week, and we'll take care of it, okay? Um, I, you know, I'm not going to say too much about this. There you go. There are baskets. So, uh, if you put money in that basket, we'll give it to poor people, okay? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with it, because Carol's not here, but I t- we won't spend it on ourselves, okay? We'll, we'll give it to somebody else. Um, there's a couple, you know, you, I, there's a couple of things about the Holy Land trip back there. If you want to go, great. I'm not going to, you know, make a big sale thing. I was asked to go last year and lead the seminary one. I didn't go. I was asked to go this year. Uh, I kind of said I wouldn't go, and then a bunch of people here decided to sign up, and so... Then I said, okay, we'll go. Um, so if you want to go, it's all back there. My only thing to say to you is, on a trip like this, always mind the fine print. There's a price on the front, but then there's always the fine print, which says things like, we're going to offload any things we can't control, you know, like the price of fuel, onto you. So get ready for that. And it's always five or six or $700 more than you think it's going to be. So I'm just, that's all in the fine print, but you have to be, uh, you have to be careful. Okay, so here we go. You got a handout? This will actually be fun. Um, so welcome back. Life's good. We sort of have been moving through the sanctuary, right? So this was the original deal, and there were all kinds of things going on. And you, know, you can see that things fell out. Like these were originally supposed to be rooms right here, but we didn't have the money, so we knocked those out. And now, in some sense, I'm glad we did because that's such a nice space back there. And this doesn't look exactly like it did before, but we got pretty close. So the victory window was here, and it got moved back here, so it kind of a little more pop um, and open up there. There's all sorts of things that happened. But partly what I want you to feel is how, um, how wonderful it was and, frankly, how, how scary it was to participate in all this because a church lasts for a long time, and you want to get it right, and the building does win, and it changes you. You know, it changes you. How, you, how the, the, your environment changes you, how, how you feel, how you, you know, how you worship, how you think, what you see. You know, what you watch when the sermon is boring. All that kind of stuff matters, okay? <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're aware of that. So, um, you know, there's this great question. Why did we do what we do? And then I gave you the quote that we started with, which is, it's all about the mystery of Christ. Christ from forever, Christ present now, Christ present someday in heaven. How do we reflect that? How do we grow from that? How do we extol that? How, do we, how, do, how are we nurtured by that? How do we proclaim that to others? How can you be proud of your church and say, you should see my church, you should come with me? Because most people join the church because of you. you know, not because of me. Most people come because you say, 
come to my church. A church stands or falls by how you talk about it to your friends and in the community. That, that's, what, that's what drives a church. When you say to people, come see. So there was this great responsibility on us to give you a space that you could be proud of, even though we had you know, a fairly small budget and we knew that and weren't complaining about it. It was just like, we have to be very, very clever about what we do. So I'm at point number two now. This is how far we've been. You know, we got through the front doors, and um, we got to the uh, baptismal font. Let's see what's next. What do you have next for me? Yes, you've seen the font. <laughs> now, some of you are asking about full immersion. And uh, see, I just wanted to assure you that it is. Are the butchers here today? See, because otherwise you're going to talk behind their back. So they're probably... But we asked him if we could show it and take it. He was reluctant at first, but, you know, here's the thing. Uh, he was in there working, and we're like, hey, Jim, hey, smile. So, um, you know, when you go by, Jim's a big guy, right? I mean, you see, I mean, he's a big guy. I mean, there's room for his wife and his grandkids still. So, uh, you know, that's just that. And you can see what that was like, how they winched it down. That guy was a, he's a genius. I mean, that, the work that went into that, it was so, you know, and so you have this double thing of a member who really cares and all the time. Like so many other members, I mean, we could put up pictures of other things that people did. You know, Bill Shuey's doing the walls, and you know, Marty Johnson, and Steve, Ch- all these guys, Dave Booman, all the guys who were—they all had different things they could do. It was so great. So let's see what the next one brings. This is the shot from the balcony. You should go at some point. Go to the balcony and look down. It's glorious. There's another reason to join choir. That's right. If you get bored during choir, you can look over the balcony. So just don't fall. Although if you do fall, hit the water because there's enough water there to break your fall, right? But this is actually a glorious, uh, this is actually, I mean, if you're, and that's empty there, but from the top, and we're working on the lights. The the lights are in transition, but the lighting is going to get way better as we get them finished up. But when you're over the top looking down, it's just this glorious thing. And in some ways, you can see all the things that are so interesting. You know, in the church, circles always go with eternity, so we talked about that. And then there's the six, which is, was a good number originally. Adam is made on the sixth day. And then Adam falls and destroys everything. And so it becomes a bad number. In fact, it becomes the devil's number, 666. But the church never despairs. Um, in the end, you know, it's all about eternity. It's all about going back to Eden. And so in the, in the font, and this is all the stuff that we did, it's a, it's a tomb, you die there. It's a womb, you rise there. It's a bath, you're washed there. It's a, it's a, I put down, it's an adoption agency. You become part of the family of God there, right? All these things that happen, this is all we went through. It's a threshold. It's really important to think of it as a threshold and a door because you cross it and go into a new life. You're with new people. This is your new family. They love you. You love them back. And you work hard to live as a family like you do in your own family, you put up with other people's foibles, you forgive other people's sins, but at the end you try to love them into a community. Could you give me the next one, please? And that's what we want, you know? That was utterly, that was the first night, the first look, the first night. Um, and that was what we want to happen. Never chase the kids away from the font, let them play. They'll only hug it once. <laughs> Uh, after that, then they'll just touch. I mean, the first time they hug it and it's, you know, uh, but that's what we want. That is everything we were aiming for. Interest, it's tactile, it draws you, it's engaging, it saves you, it interests you, it's always there, it's immovable, it's certain, it's good, it's beautiful. You see, and even at that age, 
That's exactly, I mean, you couldn't have, we couldn't have scripted that because that's exactly what we were aiming at. That kid will always remember. I mean, you know, that's, that's um, Claire, sorry. Uh, you know, that's, you know that, that will always be there as that's the place good stuff was done to me. So kick to the next one. And that's then where we are. And now I'm all the way along to um, out of number two and into three. What, you're, what happens to you as you cross through that baptismal font is that you're coming to the one holy Catholic apostolic church. That's what happens to you. So at the top of the page, baptism promises and brings victory over death and the devil, forgiveness of sins, God's grace, the entire Christ, and the Holy Spirit with his gifts. You become a child of God, well-gifted, well-loved, and you're given all these great things to live here in this family. You're connected to Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. And so, you know, every you always... You always treat me as if I'm baptized, and I always treat you as if you're baptized. In the same way, when we get to the altar, I'll say, you'll always treat me as somebody who has the body and blood of Christ in me. And I'll always treat you as somebody who has the body and blood of Christ in you. You know, St. Paul, we bear the wounds of Christ in our body. You carry the Eucharist around. You carry your baptism around. That's who you are. It's the defining thing. You know, somebody, somebody did ask, you know, why such a big font? And the real easy answer is... Because what happens at the font is a great big deal. I mean, you have a great big space for a great big deal. That's the difference between heaven and hell for an eternity, the font. That's the difference. I will, of course, say the same thing about the altar in a moment. But So these primary things that are meant to influence you, to engage you, to save you, to prompt you, to remind you who you are, they need to have a big space. They need to have a pronouncement. And that's why the font is there. And it's in your way. And it's meant to be in your way because you always remember that that's how I became part of the, part, part, part of the, um, that's how I became part of the children of God. That's the door that I went through. Don't you know that you died with Christ, you rose with Christ, you live with Christ in new glory, Romans 6. So the whole point of that is to, you know, sort of get that done. Um, number three, what we do then isn't done in joy and freedom. And then we spend a couple of weeks talking about incense investments. Those are things we're free to do. And the happy chaos of children, you know. I mean, I, again, I'm stunned this morning. You know, there are 40 kids in there, and they're young kids. There are 40 kids under the age of six, probably, or under the age of eight. And it's amazing that the, 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 that the sanctuary ever goes quiet. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing that those kids all know now, because they've been part of this liturgy in this space, Oh, yeah, everybody's quiet now. And then, you know what, they titter a bit other places, and that's fine. But it's always so amazing that it goes quiet. Everybody's paying attention, even the kids. Why? Because you gave them something to see. You gave them something to do. Okay? So um, what we do, we do enjoy in freedom, and we do it in a way, and this is where we talked about pace and posture. We talked about kneeling and make the sign of the cross, how your body influences your, your mind and your soul. And we do this toward maturity, you know, it helps us, it breaks us, it builds us, it does all these things to us so that we can move from milk to meat. This is point number three. So that we can extol the gospel and grow in the quest to do what Jesus asks us to do, which very succinctly summed up in follow me. Actually, uh, Kirby and I were at a funeral yesterday. For we've, 
you know, the stage of life that we're in, it was, it used to be that, you know, our, suddenly our friends are getting married and then our friends are having kids getting baptized. We've now graduated to the point where our friends' parents are beginning to die, so we're spending more time at funerals. Um, there was a great text in the funeral for yesterday, what it said from, from Paul, I need to look it up, um, where it said that the life of Christ might be manifest in your flesh. So his flesh is manifest, epiphany, revealed, right, expressed, that the life of Christ, his flesh, is manifest in your flesh. In a line, that's what we're trying to do. That when you go out, as Luther says, you become little Christ to each other. That you engage me as Christ and I engage you as Christ, and we go out into the world and we engage the world as Christ. And we pray that the world would engage us as the risen Christ, living as the people of God. It's that the, 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 the life of Christ may be manifest um, in your flesh. That's what we're aiming at. So, um, the, now this is just, that's all review, which is why I'm spinning around so fast. You've heard all that, but you can think of your entire life as lived between these two points, between the Paschal candle and the altar. Your whole life is right here. And of course, then we talked about to remind you that you're on the way home to Eden, or as Revelation says, on the way home to the new Jerusalem, the stone on, underneath your feet is from Jerusalem. It cost us a couple thousand dollars more. It was worth it. Because every time you walk, you walk where Jesus walked. You're walking home to the new Jerusalem. That's why we talk about the supper as a foretaste of the feast to come. You walk on those stones from the earthly Jerusalem and you get a taste of what heaven is like. Because someday you'll be, I'm sorry, I think I misspoke there. You walk on those stones from the old Jerusalem toward the altar to get a foretaste of what heaven is like. And then at some point you're in the new Jerusalem and you're constantly at the mass of the, of the, of the Lamb. Heaven is all about the supper. Yes, please. These stones, any of the stones in the walkways are from Jerusalem. Underneath the pew is tiles. So if you actually go back in and look, you'll see there'll be stones that look like they're quarried, and then there'll be stones that are just flat tiles underneath the um, pews. So anything where you're walking, where you, from the moment you walk in to the altar, around the altar, all of that is from Jerusalem and into the back altar. The interesting thing, I don't know if you've noticed, they're beginning to age. So already they're becoming... Um, the colors are popping. Some colors are coming out. Other colors are fading. And with the sunlight, you're getting a lot more interest um, in, those, in those stones. Karen. We all um, are, you know, like tracking road salt. And is that, does that damage You know, I don't know. Um, I think it's all going to be okay. Uh, we're doing the best we can. We've got a couple of rugs out here. But that stuff has, you know, been there for, you know, thousands and thousands of years, I think it'll be okay. Plus, we have remarkably good cleaning folks, and they take care of it. And actually, the way it's sealed, the only thing you clean it with is warm water. So um, you have to seal it every two or three years, but then it always just comes back again. So anyway, that's as far as we've been, right? We did all of that before Christmas. That's what you need. So now, um, and I, I, I give you, you know, this thing by Roger Mahoney, on the way to the altar of God, most of the people pass by the large baptismal font and take water from it perhaps remembering their own baptism. You can touch it and make the sign of the cross if you want. They enter their liturgy marked with the water of baptism. 
marked with the cross of Christ, whose body we became in those waters. So that's as far as we've gone, right? So now we need to play a little bit more. Um, so the next thing is uh, you can't, as I've said to you a thousand times, you can get a bad sermon, but you can't get a bad supper. And this is why, this is why pastors shouldn't innovate or invent. You know, the liturgy's been there for a couple thousand years, so, and especially at the point of the sacraments. When Jesus is talking and everything hinges on Jesus' words, a pastor doesn't do you any favors by innovation. Because what happens then is you don't really know if it's a supper or not. If he innovates, you don't know if it's really a baptism or not. So a faithful pastor delivers Christ's words to you. We quote the scriptures right out of the book. We don't add to it. We don't embellish it. We don't, you know, it's just what it is. Because your salvation doesn't depend on me. Your salvation depends on Christ. I'm the guy who delivers Christ to you. But you don't know that I'm giving you the pure stuff unless I say what Christ says and does what Christ do, and do what Christ does. That's the only way you can be certain. And then you can have other things around it that sort of praise it. But uh, you always have to have the basic stuff. Otherwise, what you praise is empty. So partly then I'll say... Trying to design an altar is the kind of thing that would keep you awake at night. Because you're, you're thinking it needs to be fit for the body and blood of Christ. It needs to hold the room. It needs to be affordable. It needs to endure. It needs to extol the gift on top of it. Um, it needs to be well-crafted so that um, you would say, this is the best that we can do. There's so many things going on, and the thing is, if you get it wrong, what are you going to do? I'm going to come back to you and say, "Woo, mixed up on the first one, let's have another go. Anybody got $50,000 in your pocket? I mean, it's not the sort of thing where you, yeah, nervous laughter. Yeah, I know. Here's the thing. <laughs> it's, not as if, it's not as if I could come back to you and say, whoa, that was a big mistake. Let's have, a, let's have another. So what often happens then is people go very safe. They just order something out of a catalog and... Then they, and then if anybody complains, you just say, well, I ordered that out of a catalog. The interesting thing is stuff out of a catalog isn't very interesting. So there's this very difficult thing of you want this thing to be glorious, and yet you, know, you probably only do one in your lifetime, and that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. So all of that builds into this. So, um, and all of that because it needs to, it needs to bless you. So um, you can get a bad sermon, but you can't get a bad supper. Now, I'll give you something that doesn't, this may not sound Lutheran to you, but this is... William, Wilhelm Leah, who was one of the, you know, you go to the seminary, his name's on the wall. He was one of the founders uh, of what became the Missouri Senate. He was a very influential voice. So, and I, here's the thing. I give you this just to show you the perspective. I wouldn't ask the question. <clears throat> you get yourself in trouble if you ask the wrong question. So if you ask, what's more important, the pulpit or the altar? You just shouldn't, there's some things you shouldn't ask. But he asked it, so I'll give you his answer, Okay. This now is the chief question in the Lutheran Church, which is the primary and most important location, the altar or the pulpit? The question is easily answered. In the Lutheran service, not the sermon, but the Holy Sacrament is the greatest ceremony. And in some ways I agree with that because a sermon, a pastor can just get it wrong. You cannot get the supper wrong if you just do what you're told. But of course, as I've told you, the primary sin, I mean, I almost don't know anybody who can do what they're told. There's only one sin. It's that you and I can't do what we're told. And the Lord comes and says, I really love you. Here's ten things. Why don't you pay attention to that? And you're like, I like nine. I'll do seven. I'm going to take a year off from those, right? <laughs> Nobody 
Every problem you've got is because somebody can't do what they're told, right? Um, so at the supper point, just do what you're told. The sermon leads to the holy meal, and that's true. Um, I think I've told you, the Russian bishop, um, Litkin, is in town. He can't come here because the, the vicar kindly took him around Chicago yesterday with some people, and then he's off to some other places. He can't come here every time, but we try to host him. But I can remember when I was in Russia, he said, we preach people toward baptism, and we baptize them toward the supper, and we give them the supper toward, and then they pause and say, there is nothing else. And that, in fact, is true. There is nothing else because the supper, as Herman Sasse says, is Christ. It is Christ. That's the place where Christ lives. That's the place where Christ sits. That's the place where Christ is. That's the place where Christ works. The altar is everything. It's everything because that's the place. It's like the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. That's the place where the Lord descends. That's his place higher than any other place, which is why, for example, you bow before you go up there. You're very careful when you work around it. You need to be you know, at ease enough to do your job, but you never, res- you never forget that you're in the presence of God, as the prayers say, in his nearer presence. Okay? So um, the sermon leads to the holy meal, since it directs the Christian to a fervent mystical union with their Christ. Therefore, the altar is and remains the most important location, both for the Lutheran Church building and for the appointments. That's all the extra stuff. The appointments are the banners and everything else, what the chalice looks like, um, all that other stuff, okay? Um, For the appointments of our worship edifice, since it gives purpose to the entire holy room. And it's very interesting that it talks about a holy room, a holy space, sanctus, sanctuary, Holy, holy, holy. It is, in fact, a holy space, right? For this reason, even the layout of the Lutheran Church is wholly patterned after the older houses of God. And so, you know, you'd want to say, you know, what's in the pattern of the older houses of God? Now, of course, if you travel around a bit, there are all sorts of different patterns. But there are some things that are relatively consistent, like the font at the door. (coughs) To have the font in the front is a relatively new innovation. The font has been at the door for, you know, forever and ever, amen. You can travel all over Africa and the Middle East. The fonts are bare, they're, they're at the door. You, uh, go to Florence, you know, go to the, go to the Duomo. The, the baptistry is actually a separate building. It's so glorious. Um, you always got into the sanctuary through the font. So um, what's the first thing to think about? Well, it's a workspace. Jesus is at work. He's really, really busy Click one ahead, Martha. Let's see what I got next. Oh, yes, that's right. Jesus is really, really... Anybody recognize that? It's Notre Dame in Paris, which haunted me, because I'm thinking to myself... um, I mean, I'd taken, for years, I'd taken uh, pictures of altars all over the world, and this one kind of stuck in my head, partly because, of course, if you're the... If you're the... the, um, if you're the bishop at, at uh, Paris, you know, you have some resources at your disposal, <laughs> including, including artists, you know. And, and I, that's a very modern artist, a very, a very modern altar. But it is, it holds, how do you build an altar that holds a room like Notre Dame? Obviously, that's not original. The, the original or older altar is the high altar back here. And as things have progressed over the years, altars have come forward. 
uh, to make God less remote. There's pluses and minuses to that. Um, but, you know, that's the sort of thing where you say, okay, I mean, that's a much, you know, more daunting task than what we're in. But you sort of look to yourself, and of course it's got, you know, the, I presume the evangelists on each side, four, um, four and four and then two and two to give you 12. Next time you go have a look, it's remarkable how close you can get to it. But you say to yourself, you know, how do you pull something like that off on, oh, I don't know, $20,000? <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of issue we have. So, so the first thing you remember is that Jesus is very busy. Jesus is going to work there. And so you need to give him some room. One of the troubles with the altar in the other space is there was no room. I mean, it was very, it was, uh, that wasn't the original design, it was redesigned, but it was very pinched, and you were all pinched too, and the poinsettias would get kicked over at Christmas and the Christmas tree, and then you'd get in and you couldn't get out, and what are you going to do, and where do we go, and how does that work, and shouldn't we have more? All of that stuff came, um, you know, into play, but the most important thing that's happening at that altar is Jesus is trying to give you a gift, but he needs to do it in a way that's easy, that's elegant, that's reverent, that's beautiful, that's efficient. You know, we were 59 minutes, 20 seconds this morning. That's really good. <laughs> I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to be, you know, anything 59.20 to like 59.58 is right where we want to be, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it is this, you know, and you get, now we have, I mean, we have we had seven guys at the altar this morning. And I'm very grateful for the life laymen who are serving there. We had seven guys at the altar, and it's flawless. The way you know it's flawless at the altar is you don't notice each other. You just go to work, and everybody does what they're doing, and there's no holdup and no mix-up, and nobody's saying, hey, we missed. And You have to do your part. Your part is what? Fill in the rail. 50, all the way around, no gaps, like this. One NASCAR lap toward your salvation. Okay? Turn, turn, you know, start and turn left, just like NASCAR, okay? You just, you just keep going like this. Your job is to fill every space. If you leave a gap, it gets everybody all bollocked up, okay? Because then we're like, what in the world did we miss? And, of course, that shakes us out of our, our you know, angelic reverie, and we think something has really gone wrong. So, you know, the, the cool thing is, is all those people can work in what's a relatively small space without bumping into each other. The vicars, about the only way you can get an F as a vicar here is if you bump into me. <laughs> Home, it's true, is it not? I mean, if we're back there, what's the first thing I say to you? Yeah, you bumped into me. I, I don't want you to bump into me. You know, my wife can bump into me. You stay away. <laughs> hey, if you bump into me, that's bad, okay? We're out, we're not, you know... So this is the kind of, you know, you, you say to yourself, um, you know, what are you going to do? Now, I give you, you know, the heaviness of what we're trying to do. Christ is the altar, the offering, and the priest. That's Cyril of Alexandria. There was just a great article I read this week about how um, Alexandria, Constantinople, and, and Rome were the three big, those were the three big places. I mean, Alexandria in Egypt, in, you know, just go to Cairo and turn left, stay on the coast, um, Alexandria had the great library, had the great thinkers, had great, great people. And they, this is about the time they started to diminish a little bit, and Constantinople became um, a little more important. But, I mean, you should have this. Christ is the altar. And I'm going to come back to this later, because I'll tell you, the sort of things we think about is, we really had, I mean, we talked for hours 
about whether or not we could kiss the altar and whether you'd go berserk over that at the first night. We talked for hours about anointing the altar, whether or not we want to take that chance. I mean, traditionally, what you do is you pour oil all over your altar. I mean, big, and you, you know, the, the celebrant mushes it around, and it's always, it stains the altar, and it's always there. You know, we talked about, you know, how much you could take, would you understand, do you understand this Christ? In a way, you might say to yourself, wow, that's, that's really, really foreign to me. But the reality is, once a year, you confess that the altar is Christ. When do you do that? Anybody know? Think. Uh, Easter Vigil is half of it, so I asked a, I asked a bad question. One weekend a year, <laughs> you confess that the altar is Christ. Where most prominently do you confess it? Stripping of the altar on Monday, Thursday. When you strip the altar, what you're saying is that the altar is Jesus. These are his clothes. We take him off and make him naked because he's going to the cross. We wash it. If you, if you extend to the full ceremony, which we've never done, you actually wash the altar the way you wash a body to prepare it for death. For burial, I'm sorry. That, that, is, that is part of the full experience, and you anoint it. You know, that's part of the full experience. We didn't, we didn't go. We talked about it in elders. Um, you know, but really, it's very traditional. If you go to a church, if you go to almost any Catholic church that's beyond just kind of a normal church, you'll see the priest come in. And instead of just reverencing, you know, we reverence, but you'll actually see the priest kiss the altar. Why does he do that? Because the altar is Christ. The church has understood that for 2,000 years. The altar is Christ. And what's really interesting about Lutherans is that they often have, um, and it's worse for evangelicals, Lutherans often have remnants of things that they do, but they know not why they do them. So if you were here for mummy's ordination, we had to kind of go through and figure out. And we have local custom. He's been in Germany. He's absorbed now for four years how the Germans celebrate and there's all these things, and, and we want to push him a little bit toward what we do, but we have to give him some latitude toward what he So we spent about two hours walking around to get comfortable. So at the bell point, I said, you know, we ring the bell here. Um, do you ring the bell in Germany? He said, well, they don't ring the bell at the altar, but they have a church bell that they ring. I said, really, a church bell? He goes, actually, a separate church bell. So, you know, you couldn't ring the bell inside because that's too... Catholic, yeah, of course. So what you do is you buy another $50,000 bell, and you hang it outside, and you ring that. So you're still ringing the bell, but you want to be be confused with the... So then people around town go, that's the Lutherans, you know? (laughs) So there there are these things that we do. You know, there are these things that we do, and then we get nervous, and we, you know, then we we do half of them. We know we should do them, or we know it's best that we do them. We try to do them, then we don't do them, and... So what we're trying to do is, and we always have to do it, and this was the very first, this is when the Hopkins boys were sitting back in the corner way back in the first week, and they were both, you know, Marines, and, you know, we sort of said, how fast should we go? And, and then the best thing that was said about that was, like the Marines on a march, they push out, and they look back over their shoulder, and if they've lost guys, they circle back around to go get them. And they push those guys up a little faster, and then they push and push till people start behind, and then they go back and circle back. In a way, what we're doing here is done exactly the same way. We are not trying to leave you at your eighth grade confirmation class. We're trying to push you till the day you die to more and more embody the life of Christ. However, I am well aware that the world pushes back. 
that you get tired from evil, that if you fight with each other, you, you wear yourselves out that way, that sometimes just your prayer life exhausts you, that sometimes you need a pause, and sometimes you need to be nourished, just like your normal life. Sometimes the push in the liturgical life needs a Sabbath. I get that. But we're not going to just always do it the way you did it, um, the way you did it locally, the way I did it locally during my lifetime. Because we belong to the body of Christ that goes for 4,000 years. And all kinds of people are doing all kinds of things way better than we are, smarter than we are, more beautiful than we are, more, more, more stretching than we are. And we do some things that are better than they. And so the pastor's job, and you know, Jonathan and the staff by extension, is always to push you, push you, push you, let you rest, maybe even fall back. Push you, push you, push you, let you rest, fall back. And then if you have these odd things like, oh, I don't know, a reformation, where things get all bollocked up, then you take the trimmers out and you trim things back, but you don't get stuck in time as if trimmed back was the way it was always meant to be. Trimmed back is never the way it's meant to be. Read the scriptures. It's always milk to meat. It's always grow up in Christ. It's always outdo each other in doing good works. It's always let Christ's flesh be manifest in your flesh. It's always more toward the full blastness of someday in heaven. And so what we're trying, when, when people complain and say, that's not how my confirmation pastor did it, you know what I want to say, bossy pants, sassy pants is good, right? <laughs> because maybe you, I mean, did you stop learning math in the eighth grade? Did you stop learning vocabulary in the eighth grade? Did you stop with anything else in the eighth grade? No. Your life, so that someday in this congregation when you're 60, 70, 80, 90, you're the Old Testament old people who are known for their wisdom and their patience, and they've seen it before. They know, they know how to expand. They know how to contract. They know how to push. They know how to rest. All of that, I'm telling you, all of that is bundled up in making a sanctuary. That's why it took 10 years to get it done, right? Because you have to have all of that in mind, and the mistakes or the glories that you bring are going to live long after you and I are dead. Unless, of course, you all tithe, which means we can knock this down next year and build a really big one. Okay? With a bell. With a bell. Outside. For the Germans. Yeah. All right, so all of that is, all of that is tied up in what we're doing, okay? So all that's mine. Christ is the altar. That may be the weirdest thing. Christ is the offering. You get that, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ is the offering. Christ is the priest. He offers himself. This is why, just an aside, um, this is why it's not wrong for Lutherans to talk about the Lord's Supper, the Mass, as a sacrifice. It's wrong to talk about it as a sacrifice, as our work. But what happens is the sacrifice on the cross, it is a sacrifice. We sing it, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The centurion, Jesus hanging on the cross, surely that man was the Son of God. The sacrifice is Christ on the cross. That cross, what happened on that cross, is what happens in the sacrament, which is the reason, and I'm going to go all the way to the last point I'm going to make, but you can tuck it away. We spent a ton of time trying to figure out how close to hang the icon to the altar. We wanted it high enough that you could all see it. We wanted it low enough so that you understand that's one bit the body and blood of Christ is one bit with the altar. That's where the body and blood of Christ rest. Which body and blood? As St. Cyril of Jerusalem said, the body and blood that was pierced with nails. 
Whatever was pierced with nails, that's on the altar. Build a place that is fit for that. And so, you know, just, I mean, the day that ever, these guys are hanging it, and it's up and down, and they're looking, and there's, you know, ten guys trying to get it just perfect, which is so great. You know, they're, they're straining everything to get it perfectly done. Why? Because it matters. Because the building wins. Because it teaches. Because it changes you. Because it draws you. Because it sends you out into the world. That's the press in trying to do this. Um, okay. So Christ is the altar, the offering, and the priest. And then I give you this next one. Um, these are very early. You know, true altar, priest, bread, and cup of salvation. That's talking about Christ. In his own person, he could fulfill all these roles. None other was capable. He's the one and only. Who, offering and lamb, sacrifice and sacrificer, so he sacrifices himself for us, priest, and the one destined to be consumed. Isn't that glorious stuff? Ephraim of Syria. I mean, these guys, they knew stuff that we don't even, can't, can hardly touch. Can you give me the next one, Martha, and we'll just see what's there. Oh, okay, good. So, um, of the sacrament of the altar, this is just straight Lutheran stuff, by the way. Of the sacrament of the altar, we hold that bread and wine in the supper are the true body and blood of Christ and are given and received not only by the godly, but also by the wicked Christians. So, and I'll just give you this next um, bit, and then we have to wrap up. Number eight, what's Jesus doing at the altar? God's word, this is large catechism, so this is like basic, every Lutheran believes this. God's word and ordinance or command is the chief thing to be considered. God's talking, or God's the word made flesh. Therefore, just as in the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Creed, they retain their nature and value, even if we never keep, pray, or believe them. So guess what? The Lord's Prayer is still there. If you never pray the Lord's Prayer, it's still the Lord's Prayer. Because you're not the center of the universe, nor am I, right? Okay? It's really important because people believe that about the Creed, or they believe that about the Lord's Supper, or um, about the Lord's Prayer. When you say it about the Lord's Supper, sometimes people, eh. in fact, you know, the first great heresy I encountered when I came here, there was a whole generation of people taught in the 1900s that it's not the, it's not the body and blood until it touches your tongue. There's about a 60-year period where they were taught in Lutheranism. Um, what, like your tongue somehow makes it a sacrament? Are you kidding me? Right here it says that Jesus makes it a sacrament. Your tongue doesn't make it a sacrament. So we'd have people, until it touched their tongue, it wasn't their thing. It's called receptionism. It was taught for about 60 years. There was a very nice little uh, textbook that was used at all the Concordias for you know, 30, 40, 50 years. It was very good in many ways. It was horrible on the sacraments. And kind of everybody who went through a Concordia absorbed that. So you had this whole group of people who didn't realize that it's the word rather than their tongue that makes it the sacrament. So uh, the, the things have shifted now, which is, which is good, because this is what we say. So objectively, so also does this blessed sacrament remain unimpaired and inviolate, even if we handle it unworthily. So here's the thing. It's the body. Once the words come to the elements, once the verba are spoken to bread and wine, and that's the reason we speak to it, once we talk to it, of course, but it's not we who are talking, it's like in private confession, when you say to the person who's confessed, do you believe that the words I'm about to speak are from the Lord himself? Which is, yeah, I'm a pastor, but I'm going to erase now and just say what God says. And then the proper response is yes. And you don't go forward unless somebody says yes. Because if you don't say yes, there's no point in going forward. In the same way, the pastor is very careful at the altar to do what Jesus, he took bread, gave thanks, talk, 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 broke, gives. 
We do exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Do you think God cares so much about our faith and conduct that he'd permit them to affect his ordinance? You think you can change a sacrament? You think I can change a sacrament? No, all temporal things remain as God has created them and ordered them, regardless of how we treat them. And now what is the sacrament of the altar? Answer. It's the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in and under the bread and wine, which we Christians are commanded by God's word to eat and to drink. So, um, two things. One is, next week we'll talk about how that turned into the altar. That's this big. Okay? So, um, that was the original thing I sent to the guys to render. I'm like, this is it. This is what we need to do. So, we'll talk. That's where it started from. That's a silver uh, relic box for bones. You know, and it becomes an altar. Uh, we'll talk about how we made that transition next week. Just any questions about anything? Yes, Dennis, please. Yes. Right. I don't know if I would have said it for that, but I, I could have said anything at any time. Um, <laughs> So mummy came, and he said, is this the point where I break the bread? We're like, you don't break the bread. And he's like, the Germans break the bread. And we're like, what the heck? Those Germans, their bell, first the bell and now the breaking. Um, so true confessions. I don't mind if we break the bread or we don't break the bread. However, historically, um, breaking the bread is what Reformed churches did it, from the Reformation, and they did it because they had this notion that it was some, now be careful here, reenactment, symbolic reenactment. So what did the Lutherans do then to rebel against that? The host, the small host that we hold up, the pastor's host, they used to bake a, a little piece of iron in it so it couldn't be broken. This is true. And they would bring it to the altar so you couldn't break it. Uh, you know. People are weird. In fact, in my dissertation studies, I actually have, I found one place where it's documented in southern, uh, in southern Germany or just into Switzerland where the priest and the deacon had a fist fight at the altar over the, who was going to hold the chalice. I'm like, that would have been great to see in somebody else's church, not in ours. So the thing is, is, um, you know, so if people, it's like so many things. So, so first, can we break it? We can break it or not break it. Doesn't, it doesn't matter, you could do it. If you break it to say, this is just kind of a chancel drama, and I can hear myself saying that so in some context after a couple of pops, you know, um, if you're doing it just as a chancel drama to in some way deny that it's the body and blood of Christ, then don't do it. But obviously, for example, Mummy and the Germans, our German friends, are clearly not doing it for that reason. And so if it's done, it shouldn't affect your conscience. Every action, of course, teaches something, right? And some actions can mean one thing in one context and one you know, thing in another. For example, you know, if we're in the Middle East and I show you the bottom of my shoe, that's like, I hate you. Um, here in America, it just means you've come over to watch the Packers and the Giants play. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything here, right? So it depends what things mean. That's, that's how things work. So we can do it or not do it. Um, there are guys at the seminary who are very much against it. I learned not to do it, and... Um, I think Catholics do do it. I'm going to have to go home and watch the... I've got to go and watch the Mass today, I suppose, now and brush up. I think that they do, yeah. And, and they break it at that point. 
it's, it's, yeah, it's called the fracture, you know, you can do it. So I, I'm agnostic on this point, but I didn't learn to do it. So long as it's not something that's used in a detrimental way. Yes, please. Yes, I know what's coming. Right. But you always do yourself. It's great to be a pietist, isn't it? I know. So here's the thing. Actually, you know what? Mummy had the same question about that. He's like, in Germany, one guy communes. I'm like, one guy communes another. I'm like, I mean, like, I got to get to Germany. Here's the thing. It's pure Luther. It, when Luther, you read Luther's directions from 1523, he said, then the priest communes himself. And actually, this week I was poking around in uh, the Augsburg Confession for something else. And it actually, I'd forgotten this, in the Augsburg Confession it actually says, the priest communes himself, then he communes the deacons, then the deacons commune the presbyters. So there's this thing. Now, so where does it come from you don't, communicate, you don't commune yourself? Where is it? Well, it's a piety. I wouldn't be so proud that I would commune myself. But here's the thing. Those same people don't get all cranky when I forgive myself at the absolution. I'm doing exactly the same thing, right? When I say, I forgive you all your sins, you know what's happening? Pastor Bruzek is forgiving that damn sinner, Scott. That's what's happening. And that's exactly what's happening there. So the pastor who's been given that job to do, you know, he does it. Actually, in my first parish, and I never changed this, the elders would come forward in the four years. I never, they could never bear it, and so I didn't ever do it. But in my first parish... It wasn't just another pastor. They'd just have a lay person come up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was very common. Here's the thing. It's a false piety of, so here's how it should work. If the Lord gives, I mean, here's what I always ask people when they get all bent about this. I always, I always ask that, uh, I always say, do you have a driver's license? You have a driver's license? Everybody got a driver's license? When you get in a cab, do you drive? Yeah. <laughs> Opens up, oh, so the analogy fails by comparison. Okay. I mean, just because you have a drive, just because you can doesn't mean you should, okay? Not always, although well, cab may be a bad example now, okay? The pastor, and, and you notice that I don't move because I'm the senior pastor. I don't move over and like, hey, Nelson or whoever else. Out of the, if you're wearing the big green thing, you're in charge. And the rule for all seven guys up there, including me, is if the guy in the big green thing says, you know, jump, you say how high. He controls it. And then if it's wrong or right, he lives with it. But he tells everybody where to go. I mean, if he says to you, go back and stand on your head back there, you actually do that at least until the last drop is drunk, which is what Luther also says when it ends. So here's the thing. If you're the celebrant, you commune everybody, including yourself. Here's the great theological point. What happens to me when I commune myself? What happens? I'm hallowed. I'm forgiven. And I, it's going to be the same. So what happens is I'm, I come from a holy altar, holy body and blood, I'm made holy. I turn to the next person. I make him holy. And eventually he comes to you and he makes you holy. So you have this notion of holiness proceeds out from the altar to every last person in the place. Now, we bollocks that up by a false piety of saying, oh, I couldn't possibly be myself, so I guess I'll have the usher come up. What in the world? You know, you're thinking to yourself, how did that happen? So we got to go, but we can talk about this more. I, I, you know, Mueller... I stopped at 18 till, so it wouldn't be 8 till. Now look at what's happened. I can't, I can't control them. I can only hope to contain them. Right? All right, so look around at this. I, I gave you a bunch more stuff. You can read this. We'll come back and we'll look at some more stuff. We'll talk about how that got to be our altar and all the other things next week. 
Um, you were very quiet today. Normally, you're much more, you know, and maybe it was just me because there's nothing more exciting than being at the altar. But questions, all of that, we can talk about whatever you want. More fun to follow. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Amen.